Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, my name is Dr. Pamela Larde, and you are watching The Joy Whisperer, where we explore the science and the practice of joy as a catalyst to our relationships, our resistance, our resilience, and our restoration. Today, we are going to be looking at the paradox of black male joy. So why paradox? What is so paradoxical about black men experiencing joy? Well, we're going to dive into that today, and I have a panel of three gentlemen who are going to help me with this conversation and to share their own perspective in terms of why this um, idea of black male joy um, can um, involve a paradox. So we're going to be looking at that from the standpoint of three truths. Truth number one, spirit murdering is a threat to joy. If you know what spirit murdering is, then this probably sounds very obvious to you. But right now, this is not a term that everybody knows about, but that a lot of people experience. So we're going to be talking about that. Truth number two, black men are leaning into their joy anyway, despite the different things that might come along that seek to rob them of their joy. And truth number three, black men are mastering fatherhood. Contrary to popular belief or contrary to what the media has tried to portray in terms of black males and fatherhood, black men are leading in terms of engagement with their children. They're setting examples. They are um, coming up with just the most amazing ways of leading their children. And I would love to dive into that. And so we're going to talk about what black men are doing um, in terms of fatherhood. So let's get ready. Let's take notes and let the joy whispering begin. Today's theory to live by is a theory developed by a law scholar, Patricia Williams, in 1987. And it's this concept called spirit murdering. Now, we don't necessarily want to live by the concept of spirit murdering, but what we want to do is understand what it is, um, understand how to combat it, and understand how to not be the person that um, engages in spirit murdering. Spirit murder describes the internal and psychological outcome of systematic and interpersonal racism in the United States. So it's a broad way of looking at um, a manifestation of racism in the United States. But more specifically speaking, um, when we think about how people are you know, physically murdered, um, they can no longer obviously carry on and live their lives and, and they're not able to be a part of society. The same thing is the case with spirit murdering, except the person is, they've, they have lost their desire and their motivation and the belief that they can be a part of society, that they can achieve and push forward with the dreams that they'd like to have. 
Because when someone is spirit murdered, they are told that what they want to do with their lives is not realistic, is not something that they should be dreaming of. So in a Psychology Today article by Dr. Janice S. Parker, she sort of broke this down a little bit further. And she says that the idea of spirit murdering comes from the same place where um, you know, religious and spiritual communities, especially in black families, will use the terms, you know, you know, speak life or, you know, you don't want to speak that into existence. And so with that idea and that philosophy of the power of our words, spirit murdering is a powerful use of words in a negative way that diminishes a person and that diminishes their dreams. She also says that what we communicate through our words and our actions can invigorate a person's spirit, cultivate perseverance, and encourage healing. But in contrast, our actions and words can also leave individuals feeling hopeless and uninspired, weary, stagnant, and representing a spiritual and psychological form of death. That is what spirit murdering is. So truth number one is spirit murdering is a threat to joy. So to better understand, you know, contextually how this actually can play out, um, it's, it's important for us to, you know, look at the different scenarios and, and what it looks like as it plays out in our real world and in, in real life. Um, and it's not only black men that experience spirit murdering, but there is a special experience that black men have around this phenomenon. Now, when we are aware of it, and this is the reason why I wanted to highlight this particular concept today, but when we're aware of it and the existence of spirit murdering, then we have the ability then to strategize against it. We will be able to recognize it when it's happening and to understand this is not just something that happens to me. This is a sort of a vicious attack on who I am as a person, but that happens in um, a, a wide variety of situations. And if I'm empowered and knowledgeable about this, I can do something to prevent it. So a lot of work is done to specifically examine spirit murdering and how it occurs in schools as it pertains to black children. And so what I'd like you to watch right now is a 2016 Yale study that it's resurfaced and it really speaks to how teachers unfairly target black boys in the classroom. Teachers at Yale showed teachers this video clip of four preschool students. Their instructions? Look for misbehavior and click when you see it. The study was kind of deceptive. None of the kids in the video actually misbehaved. The researchers were using eye tracking software. What they actually wanted to study was who the teachers were watching. Both black and white teachers spent significantly more time watching the black boy in the video. This study showed that even preschool teachers can treat kids differently based on their race without even realizing it. Now this video highlighted the, the ways in which spirit murdering can impact um, or be present in the lives of young black boys. But how does spirit murdering follow black boys into manhood? How do we see this come up um, through the years as they are growing up. Um, one of three ways. Um, the first way is in public places. So when black men are in elevators, for example, that classic example of um, the white woman clutching her purse and 
worried about whether or not um, she is about to be robbed. Um, walking up and down the street, depending on um, the environment and other people crossing to the other side so that they do not have to pass um, the black man. And so there's a lot of different ways in public places um, and they could be subtle, but um, and even if that is not the reason for the behavior of the other person, it's happened enough times for one to wonder, is that what's happening in this particular situation? That can wear on a person. The second way is with, through interpersonal relationships. So with parents, siblings, friends, spouses, um, the, the verbal ways in which we can tear other people down um, are one of the ways in which black men experience spirit murdering. Um, things that might be said to them by their parent um, with regards to what they can and cannot do. Um, I have witnessed fathers tell their sons that the different events, activities, sports that they're interested in aren't man enough, um, and that is a form of spirit murdering. And the third one is internally. Internalized racism, self-diminishing thoughts, the things that we say to ourselves, the words that we use against ourselves to diminish ourselves. So those are three ways that spirit murdering that, that young boys may experience can follow them into manhood. So if we're conscious of that, we may be able to combat that. So in light of spirit murdering being one of those things that adversely threatens our joy, black men are finding ways to take care of themselves and cope in spite of the stressors that they experience. Increasingly, we are seeing black men accept counseling as a form of support, whereas in the past it was more stigmatized. Tahir Collins is here to share with us how black men are coping with their stresses. This is Tahir Collins, and uh, I have the wonderful opportunity today to uh, talk about black men and stress. What's working, what's not working, and what do we recommend and help us to alleviate the, those stressors? So. Let's talk about, you know, basically the main stressors that I have had the opportunity uh, to counsel with predominantly black men over the past several months. Um, like anyone else, there's the, the pressure that men feel uh, on their jobs, uh, in their finances and also with their family. Uh, let's start, you know, basically with with jobs, which kind of encompasses almost all of those areas. Uh, there are times uh, as men, depending on our positions where you know, oftentimes we're treated differently uh, than our peers. Uh, that could simply mean even from the way that uh, we're communicated with, with, the way we're talked to uh, as it relates to supervisors, or that feeling that you've always got to dot every I and cross every T, not make a mistake. Uh, you've got to adjust your, your attitude to talk a certain way, to be a certain way, or that you have to give 10 times better than the next person or, or, or your colleague with you in order to be even just to be recognized. And so that in and of itself creates a high level of stress and anxiety. And most of the men that I've spoken with have uh, been very open and very candid and said that, you know, hey, they do suffer from anxiety or they do suffer from panic attacks or different type of ailments in their health that's oftentimes related to stress. And so the question is, if, if we're experiencing that as as black men, as African-American men, how do we overcome it? What's really not working for us? And, and throughout, you know, talking to a lot of these counselees, they all have one thing in common uh, that they've said that they would that they need, uh, whether that is from a spouse or a support group 
or just from people that love them as a whole. And the one thing that they all had in common is this. Every man that I've spoken with said, you know what, Tahir? I just need a safe place. Okay. A safe place where I can be vulnerable. I can be heard. I can express my emotions. I can I can say that, you know, hey, perhaps, you know, I don't have it all together or I'm struggling at this area in my life and I can take off the mask and let down my guard. And, and I don't want to be a, I don't want to feel judged or to feel less than a man just because I may be going through some things or struggling with some things or I may be struggling with some stuff. Uh, that is taking place in my past. I need a safe place, man. And, and I need to be around people who I can trust, who won't tear me down while I'm trying to grow and why I'm trying to build and why I'm trying to be a better man. And so I thought about that for a moment and I said to myself, you know, hey, how can we create that safe place? What can we do to alleviate this stressors, not just for black men, but also just for all men. What can we do to alleviate that stress? And the first thing that I uh, discovered uh, that we can do is, number one, for all about black men, we have to take the time out for self-care. Now, that self-care just simply means this. You know, that could be prayer. That could be meditation. Uh, that can be uh, anything that allows you to disconnect so that you can reconnect and be your best self. And so that could be, you know, maybe you go out, you get a massage or if you're like me, you know, hey, a date night with the with the wife or your significant other uh, is always a great time uh, to decompress and to decon and to disconnect. The other thing that I would say for us to do is we have to begin even as men to create healthy boundaries, learning to say no, learning to protect uh, your mental health. And the way that you do that as it relates to your self-care is all is also very much OK for you to reach out to a life coach or a, a licensed therapist or counselor uh, like myself that can help you uh, to navigate through some of these processes. And it doesn't necessarily always mean that when you go to therapy uh, that, you know, something is always wrong, but just an opportunity to unload or to download anything that you, you need as far as your emotions are concerned, that safe place where you can be yourself uh, and just not be judged. Last thing I, I, I wanna talk about in that safe place is a strong support system. And that support system uh, can come in two different ways. Uh, we, we need support, you know, of course, from our spouses and people that love us, but I would challenge every black man uh, uh, for this. We also need the support and encouragement of each other. You know, when you 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 know, uh, if if a, if someone is if something great is happening in a man's life, being able to celebrate him, being able to speak uh, positive affirmations, words of affirmations, um, excuse me, to those individuals lives are something that is so key and so important that is needed uh, as far as encouragement in the black community. And I want to make this appeal here. I, I want to say this, that, you know, uh, we, we've talked about safety. We've talked about support. And we've talked about, you know, hey, uh, being celebrated and having that supporting cast. And one of the things that we do here in, in Engage Believers and I do in my ministry uh, on the second and fourth Saturday of every month, there's a group of men, about 12 or 14 of us that come together that talk about these specific topics. And we encourage each other uh, in, in, in that regard. And so I would I would make this appeal, you know, as anybody that's watching this, there's any men out there that are looking for that level of support system and you want that safe place 
uh, basically just to grow and, and mature as a man. Uh, definitely reach out to me. I would love to be here to uh, to talk with you, to serve you in any capacity. Um, and I just thank you. I'm just thankful for this opportunity and this platform to be able to uh, talk about black men and their stress. Now, if you are a man who wants to express joy and you want the world to know it, this is the gear for you. And if you are somebody who knows and loves a man who either needs to better express his joy or does it well already, the Man Joy shirt is exactly the thing that he needs. Go to thejoywhisperer.org, visit our store there, and check out the Man Joy designs. Truth number two, black men are leaning into their joy anyway. I love this because as we see, um, the black male joy phenomenon is going worldwide. Uh, if you check out this Essence Magazine article, you can see uh, this movement of black men smiling all over the world. Also, check out this awesome video of black male joy on vacation. Everybody's here. <laughs> To learn a little bit more about how black men are leaning into their joy, I had the opportunity to sit down with three black men who are practicing joy in their own work. Two of them have companies that are specifically around joy, and the third one integrates joy into everything he does with his coaching company. Check out this really amazing conversation. So I have the honor and the to be here with three gentlemen who really value, highly value joy. And they show this in a few different ways. And I am really excited to dive into conversation around um, how joy really has um, a part, has a really big part in the, in the work that they do. Whether or not um, you'll notice that um, two of them have joy specific companies and one of them just exudes joy in and out throughout his company. So the first one, um, I want to introduce uh, John Robinson Jr. Um, he's an author um, and founder and CEO of Joy Plus. Now, this is a social platform that gives users a gratitude journal, a vision board, and connections to coaches from around the world. Um, so welcome, John. Thank you. Next, we have um, Lawrence Henderson. He is an author, a certified professional coach, a CEO of Boss LLC, and a TEDx speaker. And his unique approach to coaching is to hold space for his clients to overcome blind spots by gaining objective perspective. And um, so welcome, Lawrence. It's great to have you. Hey, Dr. Pam. <laughs> and then we also have Jamal Washington. And Jamal is a certified professional coach. He's the CEO of the Joy Gym, and he helps people prioritize self-care in their lives to counteract the negative effects of stress, 
trauma and burnout. And if you ever go to his LinkedIn page, you will see a profile picture of him in a yoga pose. So that is part of what he incorporates into his work. So welcome, Jamal. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, it's so great to have you all here. And I just want you all, now that I've kind of told everybody what you do, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that in your own words. So um, starting with John, um, could you please tell us what you do and why joy is such an important value to the work that you do? I own a social media company. It is called Joy Plus. So (laughs) joy has everything to do with it. But the company was actually born during the pandemic. A lot of people were struggling with anxiety, stress, and depression. And I thought about it. I really wanted to invert that with gratitude for the moment and optimism for the future. So put together a platform, hired an engineering team. Uh, and then what ends up happening, people that were attracted to Joy Plus, by the way, you can find it in the Apple App Store and Google Play, Uh, But once you download the app, uh, I found it was a lot of people that were just personal development enthusiasts and they wanted to get to the next level. Uh, And what better way to do that than to connect with a coach? We have two amazing coaches here in Lawrence and Jamal. Uh, In the Joy Plus app, there are currently 67 coaches from around the world, US, Canada, Singapore, Australia, Dublin, Ireland, England, El Salvador. Wow. I'm going to stop there. It, it keeps going. Wow. Right? You, you, get, awesome. you, get, you get the idea. <laughs> so living with joy is essential. It's funny, every single morning, there is a new quote in the Joy Plus app. And I don't know if you can see my screen. Maybe not, but maybe you can. A little bit. And today, today's quote says, The purpose of our lives is to be happy by the Dalai Lama. And that's what it's about living on purpose, living with joy. I love that. I love that. I I was listening to a podcast this morning between Brene Brown and Karen Walrund, and Brene was expressing guilt around feeling joy because of all the things that are going on in the world. And Karen came back with a quote that's very similar. And what she said was that, you know, we have to have joy. We need to experience our joy because it fuels our activism to address the things that are going on in the world. And it helps us to understand why we want to liberate people. Because if we understand what joy looks like, we then understand what we, what the goal is, is to help other people find joy. So I love it. Resonates with me. I feel like, especially putting together a social media platform, one of the drawbacks of social media sometimes is that it could be very self-centered. Some people consider it vain. Those are some of the um, misconception or bad feelings people may have with social media. I wanted to make sure that the platform was positive where users were empowering others. Yeah. So part of the hidden innovation was anytime anyone posts in both their gratitude journal and their vision board, they enter a public chat room and they answer the question, who will you empower today? Mm. So... The idea is to empower others. I love it. Oh, that's so great. Thank you, John. And you are located where? I'm in Toronto. So I'm the Canadian in the bunch. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. All right. And so now I'm going to move to Lawrence. Um, Lawrence, um, tell us about what you do and why joy is an important part of your work. Yeah, Dr. Pam. So thank you so much again for having uh, me on your show and for this opportunity to be in the presence of such amazing uh, gifts. Uh, What I do with Boss LLC is 
we call ourselves talent whisperers. And what, what that means is we go in and we help organizations figure out how to connect them from what they said the goal is to where they're desiring to be in the future. And what we do, how we do that through is through disposition work. And so you start talking about joy and most of you start talking about the, the dispositions of people and how they show up to spaces and are they aware. And so we help connect leaders to their, to consciousness and from an emotional standpoint, but also equip them with tools to actually be better in the way that they approach, you know, themselves, self-management, emotional intelligence, all those different things. Uh, because again, if you're not aware and you're not conscious of how you're showing up to spaces, then you're probably also not aware of how you're impacting those spaces. Uh, and mm -hmm. so if I can tap into what joy means, and, and I know uh, later in the show, we'll begin to break that, that word down, which is a massive word um, yeah. in people's understanding of how to operationalize their values, put things into practice, specifically something like joy, which to somebody who isn't experiencing it, it can sound very foo-foo, fluffy mm -hmm. uh, and woo-woo, but understanding that just means they don't know what it looks like for them. Uh, and so that's what we, Boss LLC, help people uh, see what it looks like for them and begin to, begin to put the posters into practice. I love it. I love it. And, and you, know, you know, and I know that that's not you know, you don't have joy splattered all over the work you do, but what's so significant about the work you do is that I feel it. Mm -hmm. And it, I feel it so much that I said, he needs to be on this panel. <laughs> so you don't necessarily have to beat people over the head with it the way I do, mm -hmm. but it, it can still be effective because of what you're putting out there. Yeah. Well, here, I, I like to say, uh, I help people start off. I locate them, whether they're at the 101 level or 201, because mm -hmm. before they get to the 401 level to you, uh, there, there has to be some buildup so that when they're introduced to you, they're ready. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. All right. Jamal. Oh, and you are located where, Lawrence? I am in Douglasville, Georgia. Uh, I'm not going to say Metro Atlanta because I don't want to say this is not Atlanta. There's a song out there. <laughs> YouTube it. Uh, but I'm in Douglasville, Georgia. <laughs> All right. Awesome. <laughs> okay. And Jamal, where are you located? And then also just tell us how, why Joy is such an important part of the work that you do. Cool. I am located in Howard County, Maryland. It's the suburbs in between Baltimore and DC. Um, and joy is a huge part. Joy is the whole foundation of the joy gym. Kind of like you can hear it in the name. It's a gym where we do exercises, mental exercises to cultivate joy. It all started when uh, I was working in tech, but was dealing with the same things we work on, the anxiety, the depression, the burnout, um, because I wasn't in an environment that was conducive for my own joy. And I was trying to find all these different ways to go about bringing it about, go about like finding this joy. And I started with physical exercise because I had done sports my entire life and actually had a chronic injury due to my stress. It was like uh, typing all day and playing video games to kind of get a deal with the stress. I ended up getting a repetitive injury in my wrist. Then it spread to my elbow. Then it spread to my shoulder. Then it spread to my neck. <laughs> it was not fun. Literally went on medical leave did what the doctor told me to do every day, but there eventually became a time where I realized that 30 minutes of mindfulness meditation would make me feel better than an hour of the workouts that my physical therapist prescribed because oh. the pain was actually unresolved mental issues. Mm. So kind of developed the concept or expanded on the concept of emotional first aid. And then it became a gym around cultivating joy because sometimes there's just certain things that we're missing in our lives, whether that is these mental exercises or maybe more elements 
of what we're passionate about or just what brings about more relaxation that can create an environment that's conducive for joy so that it can flow out of us as natural as a hot spring. Wow. I love that. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's interesting because we don't always associate um, a lack of joy with physical ailments. And you explained beautifully how those two can be really intricately connected. Um, we've got to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, if we want to be able to be, you know, productive and effective um, in our lives. So yeah, thank you so much for that. You're welcome. So, so the title of today's show is The Paradox of Black Male Joy. Why is Black Male Joy a paradoxical concept. And I'll tell you why I perceived it as such, but I'm curious to know if you all have any thoughts around that. I guess what's coming up for me is um, a, the paradox comes from almost fighting misrepresentation, right? Mm -hmm. Where there could be elements of how a black male could be re represented or how uh, they're socialized to believe they should behave, like the social norms that they're taught, um, or just the way that culture um, encourages certain ways to behave that may not be as um, lenient or, or as encouraged for people to express joy or just be their authentic selves in general. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I kind of love how there's a mental health revolution going around in the Black community where we can see, yeah. or at least the Black community that I have experienced because we're not a monolith, um, where we can see like this change of people trying to speak more around like their experience of joy, because sometimes the very act of showing your joy, showing like your, how you authentically feel in that moment can be a form of resistance, can be a form of revolution. And I think the more we can see representation of that, the more it'll become commonplace and normal or yes. people moving forward. Well, and also um, the encouragement to speak on your pain as well. Um, so, so uh, I'm sorry, a window just popped up on me. I don't know what that was, <laughs> but also the encouragement to speak on our pain. And so we don't always have to walk around with a fake smile plastered on our face. We can also speak to the range of emotions that, that we have as human beings. So uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think there's a connection point to one of the guideposts you brought up, Brene Brown, and the gifts of imperfection and how, you know, joy defined as this intense feeling of spiritual connection or pleasure. And I think for a lot of us, and I'll speak for me personally, not having many examples of those authentic connections or what pleasure really looks like. And instead of, you know, kind of pushing it down to like, you know what, that was supposed to happen because I put in the work for that. And so there's no extra something to be shown for that or that spiritual spiritual connection part of it and, and not be like, well, it's not that deep. Right. And then the things yeah. that Jamal was speaking to is, you know, kind of how we squelch like that immense feel like that intense feeling like, man, that felt good. Um, like what you see for me, Dr. Pam and the work that I do, I've never experienced it. Therefore, I have no construct or framing for it. And so if I can't communicate it, then I won't speak on it. And so those kind of things for, for men like me and uh, some of my friends, we've had these conversations about, okay, why don't we express it? Why don't we share? It's because it's one of those things, like you said, there's this uh, almost survivor's remorse or joy remorse because we know folks around us are doing bad. And mm -hmm. so we don't make those meaningful connections or those spiritual connections that actually so we can go back to that well of feeling good and actually share that the pain and the joys and the, again, good, bad and different. 
but share so that it's a testimony so that someone may learn and actually experience things for themselves. And so it's just that lack of understanding. I really truly believe as a very foundational level, but then giving ourselves permission to practice joy is, is the other part of it that's not visible um, in our community. Well, I will say, I, I really appreciate what you said about, um, you know, we work hard. So this is just the natural result of that the mm-hmm. wild extra celebration. This is just what happens when you work hard. And I, I have to say, I've heard more times than one um, where, a man will be, you know, just all in for his kids. There's a post like, oh, he's an awesome dad. And people are like, okay, that's what he's supposed to do. What, 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 what's the big deal? And it's like, we can't celebrate it. We can't have joy around that. And that those are the kinds of messages that lead to exactly what you, you know, just said. Yeah. So John, what about you? I know you're about to hand it over to me, but I was curious. So you mentioned that you had some thoughts on terms of the paradox of black male joy. You said you had your own thoughts. I kind of wanted to hear what that was. Yeah. That way, um, I could go from there. Absolutely. So what my thoughts were in terms of the paradox, um, I look at leaderships in, in a similar way. As leaders, we are at the forefront. We are there to support and help and build our teams and other people. They rely on us. And there is a level of guilt and a level of shielding of our own vulnerability for um, those that we're serving, for those that are a part of our team, because we don't want to lay those burdens on them. We, you know, we need to be seen, need to be um, seen as strong and resilient and um, effective. And there's often this fear um, or this concern as leaders that if I show my weaknesses, I might um, scare my team or my team might not have as much faith in me and what I do. And so I call that the paradox of leadership, because on one hand, we have to have this front to show that, you know, and I say have to, again, in terms of what we think has to happen, Um, but we have to have this front to make it appear that everything's okay. We're under control. When on the inside, we might be crying. We might be struggling immensely. Um, We might not even know what the heck we're doing but we can't let that show. We can't show our cards. And so the paradox is I'm helping other people. I'm building up other people and nobody is helping me. I'm just kind of doing this on my own. Um, And so that's kind of how I see the paradox of black male joy is sort of this double consciousness of I'm living this life outwardly. And then inwardly in so many ways, there are things that are coming at me that are causing me to um, sort of weather. And there's this concept called weathering where over time it just starts to wear on you. Um, so that's kind of, that's where okay. that, that helps me. I'm super empathetic towards anyone that's feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome. Uh, I know that's not necessarily what you're referring to, but people do feel that mm-hmm. uh, or feeling that they got to put on a front, as you say. For me, I wholeheartedly believe in just showing up as your authentic self. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence and Jamal, um, brilliantly explained um, in their authentic way, uh, their, their truth. And I implore other people to just speak their truth in terms of the way they lead, lead teams. If they're having a bad day, share that. People, it resonates with people. If you're having a great day, share that as well without this um, guilt feeling. So I very much want to make sure that I'm transparent with how I'm feeling. I want to make sure I empower my team to be their best selves. And if not, then uh, that's okay too. 
I know I'm speaking in generality and I know I want to be very specific and make sure I answer the question because let's not hide this, the fact that we're talking about black male joy, mm-hmm. right? And we could get deeper on that. For me, is it okay if I'm a bit of an outlier here? Is that Absolutely. okay? Is that cool? <laughs> Are we going to be good if we don't we agree? I don't want everybody to be saying the same thing. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> I, I just disagree that black men feel joy differently or they feel, I, let me make sure that I, I explain this properly. I do understand that there's, I'm a huge champion on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we just want an equal sh- uh, stake of the pie. And we just want to make sure that we get our fair share. Right. I've been totally a victim to racism many times and all four of us have and our whole race has. Uh, but for me, I feel like all humans all have the same happy chemicals in their brain, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins. And when that happiness and joy arrives, there shouldn't be an issue of, of expressing that joy. And I don't have an issue expressing that joy. And I don't think anyone should. If they feel like there's misconceptions holding them back, then that's something that they might need therapy or... Mm -hmm. Um, talk it out but joy is for all of us to embrace and experience today's whisper in my ear is brought to you by vera lofts where creatives enhance their view Today's question for Whisper in My Ear is, I struggle with guilt around feeling joy. How can I overcome that? So this question comes to me quite often and it has come up a lot in my interviews, particularly with black males, as I ask them how they find their joy. How do they express their joy? What does joy look like in their lives? And I am often brought with this idea of guilt Um, that they experience when they uh, want to fully express their joy. Guilt with even experiencing joy, even if it's just internal. So the question that often comes to me is that, you know, they struggle with their guilt and how do they overcome that? Um, I've been doing a lot of interviews and just learning about people's experiences around joy. And it seems that more often when I'm talking to black men that they express this idea of guilt around feeling joy. And often because um, the people around them may be struggling with joy um, and it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel good to celebrate your own life in the presence of somebody who's struggling. So how do you overcome that guilt and still express that joy Um, so that you can take care of yourself and have those joyful experiences for yourself in light of other people who are struggling. Well, it's important to first and foremost understand that joy is contagious. So the expression of your own joy can help create joy in other people's lives. So keep that in mind that your experience of joy is not necessarily a selfish selfish pursuit, um, but it really is the spreading of a type of energy that all of us need. But find places, find a create and create safe spaces for yourself that enable you to express your joy. So maybe it's not always appropriate 
to um, express your joy in an outward way in the presence of somebody who's struggling. But find places and spaces that will enable you to do that so that you can focus on being empathetic to that person's situation, to listening to them, to honing in on what they need. But make sure you hone in on what you need by having those opportunities to express joy elsewhere. And then also protect your joy. So be proactive about not allowing joyless people to really suck the joy out of your life. So protect your joy uh, and make sure that you have not only spaces to express your joy and to live out your joy, but also that you avoid and prevent people that take that joy away from you, um, prevent them from getting too close so that they can't steal your joy away. Black men are mastering fatherhood. Now, this is according to a recent 2018 CDC study that debunks the myth of the absent black father. And we hear so much more of that myth than we hear about what black fathers are actually doing. So I really appreciate this particular study because not only does it find that, but it also finds specifically what black fathers are doing. And so what the study essentially says is that black men are the most engaged with their children among all races in the United States. So by engaged, what exactly does that mean? Well, black fathers, which was 70% of um, black fathers, were more likely to have done some of the basic care um, you know, um, activities with their children, including bathing, dressing, diapering, um, helping children use the toilet every day in comparison to white and Hispanic fathers where it was 60% of white fathers were engaged at that level and 45% of Hispanic fathers engaged at that level. Um, so black fathers came out on top there. Black fathers were also found to be more likely to help their children with homework and take them to and from activities than fathers of other races. And also, this is the case, you know, regardless of whether or not the father was living in the home. So if in, the, in a case where a family is, um, uh, you know, co-parenting, the father was actively engaged in those situations, whether or not the father was in the home. And so these are um, really important findings that definitely oppose what previous images of black men as fathers um, have been portrayed in media, in movies, and so forth. Um, black fathers are indeed engaged with their children, are indeed um, present and a part of what they're doing. Now, are there cases where that doesn't happen? Of course, that's cases, um, you know, such cases happen across the board, but it's interesting that though black men have the highest percentage of engagement with these everyday activities, um, they are the ones that are portrayed um, as the absent father and not necessarily men of other races. Now, do we want to have this portrayal for any race? No, not necessarily, but we do want to tell the truth. We do want to show um, the whole story and not pieces of the story. Um, and so considering that these are the ways that black fathers are engaged with their children, in basic everyday grooming, um, 
activities like bathing, brushing teeth, and so forth, um, or in helping with homework, this speaks to some of the daily um, closely engaged interactions that um, Black fathers are having with their children. Check out this spoken word piece by Dwayne Curry on Black Father Day. Every day I tell my kids I love them. And one day they ask me why. Without hesitation, my body shot my heart through vocal cords, aiming for their souls. As I told them how much they meant to me, almost instantly I froze. No metaphors or similes, no analogies or melodies, I just froze. I realized I wasn't sure if they were asking why I love them or why I tell them. How often do we say what we want others to hear without understanding their question? I questioned if they understood my answers, not the ones with words, but the ones that can only be felt. The answers that were spoken when she ran into my arms as fast as the tears ran off of her face when a boy called her ugly. The times my son's eyes gazed the audience and looked for confidence in my presence and found peace in my smile because he knew that I believed in him, even when he did not believe in himself. This love cannot be expressed only in words. It must be shown. So when they watch TV and only see good dads that don't look like me, they know it's not because we don't exist. It's just taking much longer than expected to recognize us. In truth number three, black men are mastering fatherhood. Well, there's ways that they're mastering fatherhood that is actually changing the tide, changing the expectations of what their children um, should be doing and the norms that have been placed on them. So in the past, we've had certain norms where black men shouldn't do this or that or X, Y, and Z and um, these different roles that they're supposed to play. Well, part of the way that black men are mastering fatherhood is by debunking those particular uh, roles that they have been told they have to play, like not being able to show emotion um, and, and so forth. And so by teaching their children through modeling it, that they can express emotion, that they can live lives that are different from the parameters that they were given, um, this is masterful father word, fatherhood um, in action. So one of the things that we're also seeing as a trend is that with marriage in the United States on the decline across the board for all races, men are exploring new paths to fatherhood. And we're, we're seeing more and more men who are taking on adoption as an option, who are um, creating um, situations where they have a surrogate mother and they raise the child alone. But this desire for fatherhood, um, in the same way that women desire motherhood and start to feel their biological clock ticking in their mid to late 40s, men are also finding ways to, to experience fatherhood um, non-traditionally. So whether or not the marriage played out, whether or not they were even able to secure a marriage, they are finding ways to secure fatherhood. 
Another way that black men are mastering fatherhood is um, related to what I said earlier, that it is okay to show emotion. So we're seeing more and more um, video footage, evidence of black men showing emotion. Um, And it's not always tears, um, but it is laughter. It is dancing. It is um, other forms of joyful expression but really embracing the idea that it is absolutely okay to show the emotions that we are feeling. And this is so healthy because too often these emotions are bottled up and they come out in ways that are really beyond our control. So this is a way of embracing those emotions. And finally, that it is okay to express joy. And they're modeling that joy as fathers, um, which in turn has really um, taken root in the lives of their children. Black men are finding their joy in spite of the different societal and personal pressures that they experience in life. They are finding their joy and we celebrate it. We absolutely love it. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of The Joy Whisperer. Join us every Thursday at noon to one o'clock Eastern time on the SSN TV channel on Roku. And remember, joy is our greatest energy source for our relationships, our resilience, our resistance, and our restoration. Have an amazing week. Vera Lofts, where creatives enhance their view. There's a uniqueness to us as black men that, again, we don't have many examples of three men being in one space, able to have a conversation about joy in its purest form. And so now what we need to do is make sure that now that this becomes a commonplace, which today let's acknowledge it's not. It's not a common practice that we're having these types of conversations. And so I believe it's access, understanding, and then closing that gap so that it does become a construct that's just a usual thing. Can I jump in and say that I absolutely agree? Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.